You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Psalm 56, verse 4, and then verse 11. Psalm 56, verse 4 and 11. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In God, whose word I, verse 10, excuse me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So that was Psalm 56, uh, 4, and then 10 and 11. So I've got that wrong. But this morning, I want to draw attention to the reality of fear in the life of a Christian. And there are numerous places we could go to, and I've got some of them up there, that to just talk about fear in the way that Psalm 56, verses 4, verses 10 through 11, talk about. It's obviously a hot topic right now in Christian circles because of the condition and the state of our world and all that's going on. Um, these are fearful times. Um, there's The world is an upheaval. This morning on uh, the KSOI radio show that I do, I was uh, talking about the reality quoted um, quoted from the movie Pocahontas, that, uh, that great cinematic classic by Disney that Pocahontas sings, you, you can't step into the same river twice because everything is changing. And so uh, the philosopher Heraclitus uh, said, the only constant is change. And that, that's just, I mean, the reality of life, there's just all of these things going on. So that, that because of that, we live in sort of fearful times. So you can look at a place like Psalm 27, one says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So same general idea of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Why should I be afraid? We can look at examples from the Old Testament. So that third passage up there, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, during this place of great war, and, and God is speaking to his people and saying to them that when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, that sounds scary. You shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. A passage like that is this call for the people of God to trust God and to have no fear in the midst, in the face of trying circumstances. We could also go to places in the New Testament. So I've got up there Luke chapter 8, verse 30, and it's a, a healing story there, but Jesus says to this lady, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. The raising of this, this in sick individual says, don't be afraid, only believe, and she will, she will be well. Or you go to Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6. Uh, it's our fighter verse for next Sunday. But it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So there's this clear reality 
that the Christian life is to be one lived without fear. That, and so at some point, you know, someone's, some people are watching this like, that's right. Um, yeah, that's right. That's why, that's why I'm never afraid because the Christian, according to the Bible, all these passages, the Christian should never be afraid. And if that's you, you're so confident, you're like, yeah, that's right. That's why I'm never afraid. I invite you to scroll on past this video because the rest of what I have to say <laughs> isn't for the super Christian who, who has these verses of no fear tucked away. And so therefore they honestly regard themselves as someone who never experiences fear. They just trust God and they're just full of faith. Uh, they may scroll right past this video. My, my big concern is that we should not waste our energy worrying about whether we are having too much fear or patting ourselves on the back because we are so full of faith. There's this dichotomy that is put out there of fear on the one side and then faith on the other. Do you have faith or do you have fear? Are you afraid of what's going on or, or are you confident in what's, or, or do you have faith for the future? We, we put this dichotomy out there that, that I think can be crushing, crushing for common Christians like me, like all of us. For just just the low level, just basic Christians, there's this difficulty and this wrestle between. We have passages like this that tell us not to fear, to have, and absolutely that's true. And and, and these calls to have faith, but then what do we do with this reality of when we know these calls, yet still live in a world, live in very fearful times? And so I don't. What I what I want to stress, and my concern here is to not. Um, be so worried about whether we're having too much fear or or so confident because we're full of faith. My my concern is that we have the appropriate response to whatever our reaction is. If you find yourself in the midst of a hard time and and by God's grace you find yourself full of faith, Amen. Praise God. Uh, I rejoice with you. I have had times in my own life where circumstances have gone really bad. And I've just felt a special grace that I just wasn't worried that, that things were going to be, that I had, I had a, I had a confidence, not that necessarily everything would go okay, but that God was in charge and I was going to be settled and, and he was going to take care of me. And I've had times where there've been a lot less worried some things and they've really bothered me. And so what the rest of our time this morning is going to be spent dealing with those of us who aren't these super Christians. <laughs> and who struggle with moments of fear. And what, what is it that produces fear in our lives, really? What, what, what brings on these feelings of fear? Well, I think simply it's just the reality of the unknown. We do not know what tomorrow holds, and so therefore, it can, or, or the next hour, or the next phone call, we, we don't know what tomorrow holds. And because of that, it produces anxiety. It produces a, a fear. And so long as you don't know what will happen tomorrow, we have natural proclivities, dispositions to, to be afraid, to be worried, to be wonder about what's going on. Will we be alive tomorrow? Will our loved ones be alive tomorrow? Will our economic stability hold out tomorrow? Will we be able to eat tomorrow? Will we be able to provide for our families tomorrow? All of these are unknowns. I mean, that we, we don't really have assurance of what tomorrow 
holds. And so all of these unknowns produce in our hearts a very well-known sense of fear. Um, no matter how hard we may try to stuff it down, no matter how many positive affirmations we may try to cook up, no matter how many you know flowery writings we may put on our bathroom mirror to try to tell us, I'm not afraid, I'm, 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 I'm in faith, I'm, I'm trusting. Um, there are moments when every one of us experiences kind of that gut, um, uncontrollable sense of what's, what's going to happen. And so, and that is because we don't know it all. We don't know the end from the beginning. We are not the alpha and the omega. So some people might argue with me, well, Darren, uh, that's just because you're not in faith. Uh, God doesn't want you to be scared and in fear. He wants you to be in faith. And to that, I would answer, you're absolutely right. Thank you for explaining the obvious. Uh, yes, I, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So, but the question is, okay, so then how do I get from this feeling of fear to faith? It doesn't just help to say the obvious. Well, you're supposed to be in faith, not in fear. Just do it. Why? It, it doesn't help to just try to billy club your fear into some sort of obedience to make it faith. Uh, a popular verse like it's like second timothy 1 7 it's it, people say god gave us not a spirit of fear but of love power and of a sound mind and that's used as some sort of a like a, a muzzle on our fear well no i don't have fear because that's not what god has given me regardless that the passage there in second timothy is talking about uh, not being afraid to witness for the gospel paul is writing to timothy who's encountering suffering there in ephesus because of the gospel so Paul is saying, God has not given us a spirit of fear. This will produce suffering, persecution in your life, but be faithful with the sharing of the gospel. It isn't necessarily this blanket um, declaration to just Timothy for, to feel bad if he ever has moments where I don't like what's going on and I, I, I'm worried maybe about what this might produce in my life. Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, uh, one of boldness and proclaiming the gospel and the testimony about Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering and persecution. So my disagreement with the attitude that says we should just try and muscle fear out or just paper over it with a, I'd say transparent, but thick veneer of faith instead of admitting our fear is that it treats it, it, it in the Bible. It, it treats the human issues differently than that. I mean, there's, we as humans are far more complex than just like light switch on, light switch off. Like you're, you're not faith on, fear off. Oh, fear on, faith off. We're, we're far more complex than that, right? I mean, God has made us and we are a Mago day. We have this, there is, there is a real complexity to all of our emotions and to all the things that are going on in our lives. And for instance, one verse that I skipped in Psalm 56, uh, verse 3, is verse 3, because there's a contrary um, kind of opinion from this just have faith, don't have fear. And it's this it's this saying here, you might recognize it from Darlin' I's life, Psalm 56, 3 says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So that puts, you see then in Psalm 56, kind of both things going on. David writing this, yes, he's saying, I will not afraid. What can man do to me? And God, I will trust. What can flesh do to me? And yet also saying, 
when I am afraid that there are these periods in David's life where he has to admit fear does rise up. And the difference is not, the important thing there is not just belittling or, or, or trying to drive down fear. It is what do you do with that fear? David is saying, when I am afraid, he's confessing a reality that happens. I think if people are honest, it happens in all of our lives at varying degrees in various times and in various ways. When I am afraid, it is then that I put my trust in you. This is one reason why I love the Bible. It doesn't, it doesn't try to just pigeonhole humanity into just black and white creatures. There's, there's this great complexity. You are a complex personal being. I mean, sure, your spouse has probably told you that at different points. You are, you are very hard to figure out. <laughs> but we, we are complex individuals, and we have these varying degrees and multiple things going on at the same time. Paul says it like that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He speaks about this reality of being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And you think, well, is he sorrowful or is he rejoicing? And Paul, he doesn't have a problem saying, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In fact, he's saying that the people see them always as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. But, but also like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he talks about we are not as those who grieve as the world do without hope. And so he's saying that a Christian can be grieved and have hope at the same time. We're, we're, there's this complexity of our emotions that are okay for them to exist, grieved, but full of hope. That There's complexity there. Um, one place that I was, Paul says in two places in his writings, in Philippians chapter four, verse four, he commands you to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he commands you to rejoice always. And so Paul very much has a theology of, you should be rejoicing in everything, in all circumstances, at all times, rejoice in the midst of your sufferings and trials to rejoice. But a passage that always uh, is, this, is a startling contrast or brings the complexity to that is, is a passage in Philippians chapter two. And he's talking about Epaphroditus who's brought the Philippians message to him and he's gotten sick and nearly died, he says, that Epaphroditus nearly died bringing the, their message to Paul. But he says, God spared him and he spared him to keep, to keep the, the Philippian church from sorrow, but to also keep Paul from sorrow upon sorrow. And so Paul's almost admitting that his life is one that's full of sorrows, yet this is the guy who writes rejoice always. <laughs> so there's this complexity in the Christian life of sorrow over the persecutions and the suffering that is going on that are really going on in life and yet a rejoicing because of something greater above it all so paul knew constant rejoicing and yet consistent sorrows and he held them both together there's the re constant rejoicing and consistent sorrows so how is he able to say this the life of the christian is not just one great big victory lap through life we, we don't just put on the, the victor's crown and, and then it's just this easy uphill climb until glory. The Christian life is one that's full of, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, though I'm still walking through the valley of the shadow of death. 
There are many ups and downs. There are many trials and many triumphs. The question that presses upon us is not the question if we will have fear or faith. The question is, or not, not if we'll have hope or grief. It's not if we'll have joy or sorrows. But the question is, will we have faith in the midst of our fears? Will we have joy even in the midst of our sorrows? Will we have hope even in the midst of our griefs? They aren't, they aren't polar opposites of this dichotomy to choose one or the other. Is will you have rejoicing even in the midst of your sorrows? Will you have hope even in the midst of your griefs? Will you hold on to faith even in the midst of very real fears? That is the Christian experience. It's not faith or fear, but it is faith even in times of fear. To deny the presence of fear in your life, I think, makes you either a crazy person, a bit of like a sociopath, no empathy that hard things don't happen and they aren't worthy of being concerned about. Um, it, it, to just deny them and to talk yourself into, into faith is, is less like Christianity and it's more like Christian science, which is neither Christian nor science. So that, that isn't the life of the Christian. But here's, here's the reality. So this is kind of what I wanted to get to. Here's, here's the reality, why it is important to not just try to pretend like fear doesn't exist. There are three great benefits, I think, that this is just kind of what I've in my thinking on. There, there's three benefits to fear and admitting it and confronting it, not just trying to shove it away. I'm not afraid. I've got faith. There's three really important fruits that come from fear in your life. And in fact, it might be the grace of God in your life producing circumstances that cause fear so that this fruit can be worked. And so to ignore the fear producing things in your life might very well be ignoring God's work in your life. So you want, don't just turn from fear, but what are we going to do with it? The first fruit from fear that I just point out quickly is that uh, one of the fruits from fear is that our fears can reveal our idols. An idol is anything that you love more than God. So when, when fear comes upon you, you can ask questions like this. What is it that I am so afraid of losing? Why? If, if, if you would answer, if I were to lose X, Y, and Z, whatever this thing is. If I were to lose this, what, then what? What does that do? Does, what does it take to ruin this, this happy, um, this life, this successful, this satisfied life that I have? When, if I were to lose this, then my life becomes so much less than what it is. And so if I'm afraid of losing that, it, is, it can be a grace of God revealing an idol. Something that you're saying, God, I can't live without this. And I've, I've prayed this prayer. I mean, I'll be honest that there's times like when, you know, you're, you're trying to, God, if, if this happens, I don't know how I'm going to be able to, to relate to you even anymore. I mean, I've had that, you know, you're, when you're at the hospital, these things, terrible things are going on. You're saying, if this goes on, I don't know how I'm going to, how is this going to go forward? Well, what's happening in that moment is your idolatries are being revealed. You're saying, yes, God, I love you, but this thing, I love more than you. And if you don't protect this thing and, and keep it for me, then you're, no, then you're of no good to me. That is the definition of idolatry. 
And so fear is, is, a, is a very beneficial thing. And in that, it reveals, it can reveal your idols. If your fears revolve around a sinful idolatry, you should let those fears reveal it. Not just try to shove it away and pretend like, oh, I'm not afraid. But wait a second. What is it that I'm so afraid of losing so that you can repent? Ask God for forgiveness. Remember the gospel that there is forgiveness in Christ and then work to treasure Christ rightly. So fears can reveal your idols. Fears also, they force humility. We are a far too self-reliant people. And in fact, those who just try to shove fear away and pretend they have faith are just doubling down on their self-reliance. I'm not going to have fear. I'm going to have faith. When in reality, fears at times are the very mechanism that drives you to God, that they, they force humility. You're forced to admit, I don't have control of tomorrow. I don't have control over the next events of my life. I don't have control over, well, basically 98.9% .9 of my life. I just pulled that number out. I don't know if that's scientifically accurate or not. It's probably less than that. I don't have control over just countless amounts of circumstances. And so fear is a helpful thing when it reminds us that we are not the ones in charge. That because in seeing that we're not in charge, we, it forces us to run to one who is in charge. I can't rely on myself anymore. If it's up to me, then I don't know what's going to happen next. But if that humility then can force us to the one who is in control of it all. To pretend you have no fears is to drive away what can be some of your most honest and beneficial prayers. To just pretend like you've got it all together. Fears can produce and should produce in your own heart great earnest prayers to the one who is over all things. And so to just try to pretend like it doesn't exist is not beneficial. To face it reveals your idols, forces humility, and it familiarizes yourself with appropriate concern. Our fears remind us is just a small shade of the proper response we should feel about a life apart from God. That there's, there's, there's familiarity, this fear. Okay, so I'm looking down the future and I think, well, I would hate for that thing to happen. That, that is a small shade of what our response should be to think about what would happen to end up with the ultimate um, awful thing to be, uh, be gone through, separation from God, judgment from God for all of eternity. That is something appropriately to be afraid of. Let me tell you, put you on a, a verse here to so you're not see that I'm just making that up. Jesus himself makes this point. In Luke chapter 12, verses four through five, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Now, he's, I, you could say, well, so see, I'm not supposed to fear. I think Jesus knows enough that there is um, a very real, like just natural response to those who are going to destroy your body. I don't walk down the center of the highway when I'm out carrying mail because I have a sensible fear of what a semi-truck at 45 miles an hour can do to me as I'm crossing the highway. So there's there's a there's a legitimate fear of those who would kill the but but he's saying don't fear. That's that's because that's it's too small of a shade. Don't fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. 
fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So one beneficial fruit, one beneficial reason to not just try to just shove fear away and pretend it doesn't exist is that tinge of fear that you feel is an echo, is a shadow of the fear that should be felt of what it would mean to come under the wrath of God. Now, why, Darren, I'm not sure why you think that's beneficial. Well, here's why it's beneficial to, to familiarize yourself with that fear, because it makes the gospel that much more sweet. When, you, when you're familiar with the fear of what it would mean to sin under God's judgment, what it would mean to not have your sins forgiven, to have God's wrath for your sin directed upon you, when you feel even just shades of that fear, that when the gospel comes in and you hear what Christ has done to rescue you, not just even from that shade of fear, but from the great fear of the one who can, after death, throw you into hell, what liberation you should then feel because God has delivered you from the greatest of all fears through the work of Christ in this position. It's from this position one of knowing fully your place with God as your father, that you can then learn to have faith even in the midst of your fears. Because this God, when this has, has rescued you through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who went into the tomb, raised, rose from the dead three days later, ascended into heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of God for where he makes intercession for his people. When you know that, when you've grasped that, you're able to have faith and fear. When the diagnosis comes, you can let that fear give you a jolt because there's just no way around. What? You can let that fear give you a jolt and then let it drive you deeper into your faith in God. When difficulties arise, look at the turmoil going on in our world. I think it's pretty natural to be like, what in the world's going to happen next? When that happens, you don't have to pretend like that there are possibilities that you would really hate to see happen, but you can fully admit them and let them produce some real heart work in your life. Let it point out the idols that might exist in your life. Let it point out um, your, your own self-sufficiency and your need for God. Let it drive you to humility. Let it point out to you that shade, that, that fear that really should exist of what it would mean to not be in full fellowship and reconciliation with God. The reality is that a Christian can boldly admit and confront fears because they know that to reveal their idols is a good thing, freeing them from the worship, freeing them to worship the one who is truly valuable. They know that increasing their dependence on the one who can truly help and make a difference is a very good thing. And they can they can boldly admit their fears because they know that to familiarize themselves with the feelings of despair can remind them of a feeling they will one day never feel again. These shades of fear that come upon us from the unknown, one day Christ will return and we will be with him in the light of his presence and the fullness of his joy forever, never to know those fears again. So I ask, do you know Jesus in this way? Are you set free from the penalty of your sin? Are you trusting in him alone for your righteousness before the Father? If so, 
when fears arise, do not forget the promises of an all-powerful God. Let that fear reveal idols. Let it produce a humble dependence in you upon God. Let it drive you from all that would separate you from God, but ultimately let it drive you to purified, humble, and grateful reliance upon the one who truly does save. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do this work in our hearts. Father, I want to look to you. I want to trust you. I want to rely upon you. Father, we at the same time have to confess there are so many unknowns in our lives. Help us, God, in the midst of these difficulties to cling to you. Do the work, Holy Spirit, that you have been sent to do to convict the world of sin and unrighteousness. Point out our idolatries. Point out our sinful self-reliance. Point out the, the fear that we truly should have of what it would mean to be without our Savior, that, Father, in the midst of our fears, we might cling to you in faith. And God, help us to remember these promises, that, yes, you have promised you will never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, we can put our trust in you, even in the midst of life collapsing around us, of all sorts of things going wrong, of all sorts of changes in our lives. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What you have begun, you will finish, and you will work all things together for the good of those who love you. So, Father, plant that seed of faith. Grow it inside of us, God. The promises that you have given to us, God, that we might cling to them in faith, through all the fearful circumstances that come in a life on a fallen planet. God draws nearer to the hope and the joy and the peace that is in you through our Savior, Jesus Christ alone. We pray these things in his name. Amen.